Welcome to the Impact Multiplier CEO Podcast. If you're a chief executive, or if you think like one, and you want to create exponentially greater impact, then this show is for you. My name is Richard Medcalf, founder of X-Quadrant. I coach some of the most successful and impressive CEOs and executive teams on the planet and help them achieve extraordinary results. And no matter how successful you've been in the past, there's always a whole new level of impact available to you. So if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. Today I speak with Michel Robert, who is the CEO of Epsilon Telecommunications. Uh, This is a global connectivity provider that's really simplifying how businesses connect applications and data in the cloud and around the world through its network as a service platform. We talk about the first few months and years in Michelle's CEO role. Before joining Epsilon, he had an extensive career in tech and telecoms. He was a um, he had many general management positions in companies such as Dimension Data and Clarinet. And what we get into uh, in this call today is the difference between the general manager role and the CEO role and what he learned in that transition. We also look at how he triangulates to find and isolate the very best ideas from all of the ideas that are generated within the business. He has a really great process for that, which I think you'll find fascinating. And we look at how organizational challenges that uh, Michelle went through actually helped improve customer centricity and how other businesses can use this as an advantage against some of their larger competitors. So this is a great conversation. Michelle is a very thoughtful and interesting executive. And so I'm sure you'll find this insightful conversation with Michelle Robert. Hi, Michelle, and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Hi, Richard. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, It's always a pleasure to meet somebody who's um, binational. Um, We were just talking about that before we we started recording. Uh, I know you're a French-American and... and, um, and you've sort of had a really you know, interesting uh, career um, in the global world, right? Um, but, you know, grew up in America, moved to Europe, and now you run uh, Epsilon Telecommunications, which looks like it's a really innovative network as a service uh, provider, helping simplify how businesses connect applications and data um, around the world. And so I'm really looking forward to diving in to understand you know, over the last couple of years, as you, as you took on the CEO mantle, you know, what's that meant for you, right? And what's been that story? Mm-hmm. Perhaps we go any further, um, before we go any further, how about just giving you a little bit of, of the background of, you know, how did you end up at Epsilon and in the CEO role? Yeah, so, um, well, thanks again for, for having me on. So I, I joined Epsilon in February of 2020. So just as the pandemic uh, hit, uh, and as you mentioned, Epsilon is a global business with offices, around the world. So it was a, a bit of a challenge to uh, where I was expecting to be able to see lots of people face to face. Unfortunately, it's, it's uh, the, the total sum of my tra- business travel has been one trip to Singapore. Um, so very limited from that standpoint. I came to Epsilon uh, after about a, a 12, working for 12 years at a company in, um, in the UK, headquartered in the UK called Clarinet, which was a great work experience for me. But as you mentioned, I, I came to the UK over 20 years ago after starting my career actually in the real estate business in New York. 
What and of interest? What made you um, what made you change continents? What was uh, the story there? I think it was you know I worked for the same firm for about ten years um, straight out of university, so it was a it was an opportunity to do something different. Um, and because uh, as you mentioned at the start, I, I've uh, I'm both French and American. I had the ability uh, then a French passport would would give you access to to work in Europe, uh, and um, I got an opportunity to come to the UK, so I took that. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of my own background where I came, to, I moved from the UK to France on a whim, thought it would last a year and ended up lasting <laughs> over 20. Yeah. So, um, so fantastic. Yeah. So you were at Clarinet. Um, and, um, and then what, what was it about Epsilon that attracted you and, and got you? Well, I think Epsilon, yeah, it's a you know, really interesting business um, that, as you mentioned, is, is focused on providing some flexibility around what is an essential service to to businesses, which is a network connectivity that enables them to run their businesses and, and certainly adopt a lot of the new technologies, which are cloud-based technologies, where the networking component is critical to, to that journey. And so that was one of the things that, you know, an alternative way of providing network services. My, my view was that having worked with companies around application migration and around, you know, how they take it excuse me, <laughs> advantage of the cloud. Um, what was clear is that the network that underpins those things wasn't quite as flexible as the services that were sitting on top, whether they be SaaS services or infrastructure as a service. And so there was a real, you know, kind of gap and Epsilon and there's a few other companies, but, you know, Epsilon, I think is a real opportunity to continue to grow in that space and provide that network infrastructure, that interconnection, end-to-end -end interconnection services um, that support that, uh, that the future and the, and the growth and the adoption of cloud. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Well, I know when I was at Cisco, you know, we spent a lot of time thinking about that, that fact that um, this world where everything is so flexible in the software layer, and yet when, when actually people need to spin up their networks, um, across multiple sites around the world. They've got to deal with a load of different providers. Um, it can take months, I know, to establish connections at the right speed and security and, and, so, and so forth. And so it's always been a, a pain point for enterprises. So I can imagine there is a lot of growth right now in that area. Yeah, and it, it is an interesting space. And, you know, Epsilon has um, successfully developed um, well before I started a, a platform called Infini, which is a software-defined networking platform, which helps in orchestrating and deploying those networks and doing it, um, you know, really in, in minutes mm -hmm. um, as, opposed to, uh, as opposed to months and weeks. So, um, yeah, it's interesting, really interesting space. So... Interesting company. Obviously, CEO role is, is is a coveted one. What was it? Do you think that um, that secured you that role? Right. What, what was it about? You know, you perhaps your way of looking at the business or your background that perhaps made you the right the right person. Um, I think you know I, certainly my experience uh, on a number of fronts over the last um, you know at Clarinet and also previously there to at Dimension Data. So it was really understanding how, um, how you look at a business, how you look to organize a business, grow a business um, that's customer centric and really start with a customer and look at the segmentation of your customers to, to understand which customers are serving today, which customers you'd like to serve and how do you organize yourself and, and, and build a plan around that. So um, that's one of the things that certainly um, 
have quite a bit of experience in. The other was uh, at Clarinet, I had the benefit of um, and, and the opportunity to be involved and lead many acquisitions in the business as well. So that's a, a very interesting process and really good experience um, to, to mm. do and certainly part of the plan um, at Epsilon. And we've had a recent change in shareholding um, in September. So um, that my experience in, in buying businesses really, I think also helped me in helping help, uh, help sell Epsilon um, mm. as well. So I think it's a combination of general, general experience in the space. Um, mm. I have a, you know, my original, when I started my career, um, it was in, in marketing, business development. I did some consulting as well. So I don't come from a pure technology background. And I think yeah. that general broad um, business experience is, uh, is useful. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, both of those, those aspects there, the customer centric and the, and the acquisitions obviously are, uh, well, they go nicely together, right? Because there's a sense of uh, organic and inorganic growth in that. Um, yeah. Tell me a bit about the customer centric business, like, because on one level you might say, well, everyone, you know, is, you know, every business needs to be customer centric. So, you know, what is it that you see that perhaps, perhaps um, some business leaders might miss when they're thinking about their strategy or whatever? How does that, you know, what, what are they, um, what are they not seeing? I don't know. I, I can't comment on what they're not seeing, but what, what, I think you really do have to make sure that you understand where your business is today and where you're, you know, if you're coming into an existing business, where is the revenue coming in today? What's working, what's not working? So what's the foundation? What do you want to keep? What do you want to grow? What do you want to yield? What do you want to maybe not pay, you know, pay less attention to? Mm. So I think unless you understand that, it's very easy. And I've, I've made this mistake previously. It's very easy to get very excited about all sorts of new ideas when you don't fully understand the foundation on which you're either building or needing to change. Mm. Um, so I think that first thing is it's almost a grounding and it's, a, it's to develop that understanding. And then from there, um, you know, decide what you wanna do. So, um, you know, in our case, we have three distinct customer groups, uh, our carrier customers, which is where the businesses come from, um, the historic and, and still is a majority of the business today, but we have a desire to, to really continue to grow and serve that customer base while getting um, also diversifying a little bit. So, you know, it's an understanding of that. So you could get very excited about the diversification, but forget where the majority of your customers are today. And that's the, yeah. that's the point I'm trying to make is to make sure that you get that balance right between where you are today, what you need to do with that group consciously yeah. before you move on to something else. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you, perfect. Well, let's let's talk about this transition to CEO because obviously I know you had general management roles, you know, um, in you know in in previous uh, in previous uh, steps in your career. Um, as you look back over the last couple of years as being CEO, you know, what do you kind of see as perhaps some of the step changes or some of the um, the discontinuities in you know from perhaps having a senior management role and being CEO. Um... I, I guess the transition for me has been, um, there's definitely been some, some significant learning and we'll talk, I'll mention those, but I, I, you know, I had the benefit where I worked previously, I had a great amount of autonomy as well. So as I was a managing director of, uh, and responsible for a number of things, I had a great amount of autonomy. So I felt that that was very good training for me personally. Um, stepping into, uh, stepping into this um, business, the, you know, so that grounding and that background, I think, was helpful. 
Um, you know, dealing with one one um, experience for me was dealing with a more formal board um, mm -hmm. setup and a more formal board of directors, uh, very supportive. Um, and that's now even, you know, changed since, uh, since our recent acquisition. So that's one thing is the, the experience around that, whereas mm. pre previously I was working in a less formal uh, board setup. Um, and, you know, the, the business is quite different in um, its global footprint. Previously, I was working predominantly in European businesses. Mm. So, um, and, and this, this has uh, offices in Singapore, London, Sofia, satellite office in Hong Kong and New York. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have our, our, our teams are distributed across that and our customers are also into Middle East, Africa, all over. So mm -hmm. from that standpoint, that's been, you know, a cultural awareness, mm -hmm. um, different working practices, time zones, all that stuff. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That's a great point because a lot of general managers, you know, you, know, you might become general manager of a country, even a region, um, and then probably the general management level above that, you know, unless you're doing a business unit or something, is going to be suddenly CEO and you have everything um, and you have the whole globe as your purview. Your purview. So what um, you talked about cultural issues and time zone issues. Um, what do you think is the biggest, what was the biggest learning that you had to, that you had to go through when thinking about the, the global nature of the business, what changed in how you managed? Well, I think communication, you know, especially in the, in, in the COVID period. And, you know, we're very focused on communication and sharing, you know, what we're up to, our objectives, how we're doing, trying to get feedback from, from the teams. And I think it's understanding how various um, cultures um, and the, the teams in various locations digest communication and how, what's the appropriate level of communication. And what do they, um, you know, how do they feed back? How do they question? Um, and and you know, as you would imagine, um, attitudes and, and uh, I think the opportunity is always there, but the willingness for some people to, to question, not, in a, not a, in a challenging way, which is always welcome, but also just generally to ask mm -hmm. questions and understand what's going on and dig further that, um, each, each of the markets that we're serving and each of the, so the customers, not the customers, the employees, it's quite different. So, um, and we've, you know, rolled out employee net promoters and other things to really engage. And I think you have to be sensitive and to kind of understand how people are going to digest information and how they're going to respond. So, um, you know, everyone talks about it, the importance of internal communication. And this is just to make sure you understand who's receiving that and how's the message going to land. Yeah. Yeah. So, so communication is always a big one. It, it makes me think about, as you were talking about that, um, around the kind of stories that might be underneath that. So, you know, if you look back, um, is there like a top tip? You know, so what have you done well? You just say, you know, looking back, right? Well, what do you think you, you actually managed to do well in that you know, difficult period, obviously with COVID and everything else, um, in terms of your own CEO playbook, if you like, you know, what are some things you really focused on that you think has created born fruit and then you know is there something there where you know looking back you know there'd be a a bit of a pitfall to avoid or something which um surprised you and perhaps took you off track for a little bit um i think it's uh you know in a business that that's that's changing and evolving um and um is is looking to to reset a not reset a strategy refine a strategy execute the plan the the i think the 
the temptation is always to try and do too much. Mm. So, you know, the, the, I think one thing that we were pretty successful on is not trying to do too much. And mm-hmm. actually so many good ideas, so many bright people in the company putting forward lots of ideas. The trick is always to decide which are the ones to focus on. So mm. uh, we'd have no shortage of ideas, no shortage of brain power. Mm. It's um, if anything, there was um, a need around, you know, prioritization and actually mm. focus. Um, so that's, I, I think that's, you know, something that we did pretty well, but I could have done more of, you know, be even more ruthless and really focus on fewer things um, and communicate and continue to build and communicate on those things. That I think is, uh, is a, is probably a universe, <laughs> lots of us, even in our personal life, you know? Yeah, so true. I think that's a very yeah. important thing. So that's been a big learning. So I think we've done it pretty well. I think we could do it better. How do you do that? How do you filter all this groundswell of ideas from your very intelligent experts all around the world? Yeah, I think um, you have to give yourself time to think. Well, first of all, you have to listen to make sure you actually really understand what they're talking mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and actually give yourself some time to think and, and um, you know, continue to ask questions um, and to really un- un- unfold where the value lies and why are we really doing this? And is this going to make a difference to our customers? Is this something that we think is a good idea? Or does, do they think it's a good idea? Does an analyst think it's a good idea? Does a customer think it's a good idea? Mm. So I think really uh, making sure that, you know, myself and others, we really question and make sure that we feel really clear that this is going to make a difference. Um, and that I think is um, a very important thing. But the first step into that is understanding. And I think the danger with all of us is that we think we know something and then we want to go and make a decision and move on and do something quickly. So I think, you know, sometimes going a little bit slower at the beginning to make sure that you really pick the right things and it helps you execute and and move faster at the end. It's Richard here with a quick interlude. As part of my coaching and advisory work, I often work with leaders who have recently taken on the CEO role. It's a big leap from the comfort zone of functional leadership or business unit management. And it opens up a whole new set of stakeholders, pressures, decisions, and responsibilities. I found that there are three key things that will make a huge difference in those first quarters. Number one, balancing the operational and the strategic, what I call CEO focus. Number two, establishing credibility, what I call CEO presence. And number three, managing stakeholders, those CEO conversations. I've written a short email series that goes into more detail on the transition to CEO and how you can practically sharpen your CEO focus, solidify your CEO presence and master your CEO conversations. It's insightful and it's entirely free of charge and you can register for it by going to xquadrant.com forward slash go forward slash curve. Now, back to the conversation. I have a thing on my desk here. You probably can't see it, especially if, I don't know. I'll hold it up and I, I can't even yeah, see myself. Snail. It's a little snail. I have it there, um, a little snail on my desk, because one of the things I help my clients with so often, it's almost the first thing we have to address, because like me, and I help them because I have to help myself do this, is slowing down to speed up, right? Um, a friend of mine went motor racing on a, on a racetrack, you know, in a sports car. And when they were training him, he said, they said, look, first thing you have to do is you've got to go slow to go smooth. 
and you go smooth to go fast. And mm. I think it's a, it's a great thing. Why do I have a snail on my desk? Because I think fast, I speak fast, and my clients are the same, right? They're ambitious, they've got big things, they, they're creative, they have lots of ideas, and they can be a bit of a hurry. But when we slow down our thinking, it just helps us focus in on what's that one conversation, that one move that we need to make that makes everything else irrelevant, you know? And I, I think that you're totally right. This um, ability to, 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 to give yourself time, you said, give yourself time to think. It's just so important. And when we don't do it, we end up in tunnel vision. We end up in tunnel vision and we can't see the thing that's just right here. Yeah. That's good. That's and, good. I, and I think that's, that's critical. And that's certainly one of the things that, you know, I was just looking at my diary before this for the past week and you just look at that and you think, oh, there wasn't a lot of thinking time in there. Yeah. You know, so I think that discipline is another, it's, it's really important because time is the most valuable. It's really the only thing that we have yeah. um, to, uh, to make sure that we can filter and help you know, allocate resources, which is basically mm. the role, right? It's, yeah. yeah, I mean, actually, you know, in many ways, you, know, you could liken often what I end up doing with my clients as being it's almost equivalent of a personal trainer, you know, because it's like a personal trainer comes to your house, you know, and like makes you do your exercises, right? Whereas if you've got to go to the gym, you might not bother going. And I think often when clients schedule sessions with me, it's almost like, well, now I know I've got an hour or whatever it is in the diary where I'm going to have to think yeah. and where perhaps I'm, I'm going to be able to take, you know, I'm going to be able to take my thinking in a different direction from what I might do naturally. But I think whether you have something like that or not, it is trying to find out how do you actually make that time in the diary? What I find with, with people is often they'll put in something called strategic thinking time. They'll put a slot in their diary, you know? Um, and I always say that is like a recipe for procrastination normally because, <laughs> because you get to it and it's vague. It sounds hard. Like it sounds like the stakes are high. I've got to think strategically about and And so it's much easier to just do your emails or work on the report. Yeah. You've got to deliver for the board. Whereas if you kind of really get specific about what's the problem I want to think about, Mm. and then label it as that then it becomes a bit yeah. easier to go oh yeah i've got half an hour to come up with you know five possible ways to solve the customer churn issue or whatever it is suddenly yeah. then that creates a, a focus um I, the other thing i wanted to, to pick up on is, is your point around triangulation right you talked about um triangulation around you know who thinks this is a good idea? Is it the analysts? You know, is it customers? Is it us? Do we think it's a good idea? Do the team think it's a good idea? I think that that point about getting multiple um, angles on a problem and kind of multiple validation points, I think also potentially helps slow down the thinking oh, absolutely. And, absolutely. And, and make it better. Absolutely. And I think in an industry which is, you know, obviously moving quickly, lots of innovation, incredibly you know, technical partners that are developing all sorts of incredible stuff and they want to talk about it and they want to get you to think about it and they want to get you to promote it. But invariably you're talking and thinking and promoting something that's not really going to be adopted for, you know, 18 to, you know, whatever period of time. Yes. And so, you know, if you drink the Kool-Aid too early, um, you can, you know, you have to keep an eye on that, but that's not, that's probably not what's happening in the market today. Mm. And I think that's the balance. Um, so certainly, you know, we've, um, for all the teams, we've just made some recent changes around our product management function, um, as well as working with our solution design teams with technical pre-sales and so on, to really push them to be customer facing and all of them to be taking meetings with customers, all of them 
to be engaging hmm. um, in support of our sales commercial organization, because just to make sure that we're focused on the right things. And I think it's very easy, especially in an industry, as I said, that's moving so quickly, that has so much going on to get distracted. Hmm. Um, and so I think that's, um, it, it sounds like a very practical and obvious thing to do, but um, you know, hmm. I think it's, it's, it's easy to get pulled off in different ways. Yeah, so you're really getting everyone speaking to customers. Um, yeah, it makes makes so much sense, right? Because it's the customer needs that are going to drive the business. And you're right, in technology, it's really easy to get excited about the next thing coming down the line. You know, the um, yeah, every vendor will tend to have a five-step or you know, a three-phase vision of the future, right? They can probably deliver phase one today <laughs> and they're working on, you know, working on the other ones. Um, but it's easy to kind of buy into something which is, at this stage, unproven. Um, yeah. Sometimes that's what you've got to do, I guess, right? But um, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think what you're talking there is almost the difference between growth and scaling, as one of my previous guests put it. Um, so scaling means like you've figured out what you're doing and you just need to do it more, more of it. Um, mm. Whereas growth is more growing into new areas or launching new products and services and that kind of thing and, and, and doing new things. So again, how do you balance the two of those, right? How do you balance that, like doubling down on what today's customers want versus, you know, for example, as you said, your carrier customer base versus perhaps investing in things that might have a higher growth potential in the future? Because it's always been the telecoms dilemma, right? I mean, I know you're not a traditional telecoms company, but often it's always just been easier for telecoms companies in the main to say, oh, we'll just put the price up by, you know, one cent or something. <laughs> and that'll have much, much more impact than innovating on some tiny little service, which isn't going to yeah. make a difference for five more years. But then, of course, we've seen what's happened. And a lot of the big carriers have kind of got to peak telecoms, you know, got to peak revenues and they didn't have the growth um, engines behind that. So how do you look at those those challenges? Um you know, I think I think that's uh, the the question of innovation, and and you're saying your 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 point around growth versus and 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 yielding. Um, I think it's go it's got to be a it's difficult, but you got to strike that balance. You really have to think about, you know, realistic what what, what is it going to take to execute on a growth strategy as opposed to a yield strategy, mm. um, and invariably you have to do both because as you to your point if you just do the yield strategy then all of a sudden you're going to wake up and that's you know there, there's not going to be much to yield anymore and then yeah. the growth you're going to be slower so um in terms of selecting what to focus on you know again it goes back to understanding what what are the customers and what are the demands and you know there there's a lot of information out there as to what's working what's not working that's a base to start but it's really about getting the, the commercial teams to be linked into and feel empowered to actually have an influence on it. Um, not to say this is a list of stuff that you sell, just go sell it. It's actually to say, okay, so what's working, what's not working, where are you seeing traction? What's the feedback that you're getting? And to get everybody involved and, and the advantage of being in a small business, relatively small business is you can do that. When you're in a really large business, probably harder to do that. Yeah. because um, there's kind of greater risk of silos. So that's what we're trying to ma actually make sure that we don't lose the advantage of being small yeah. and don't create kind of organizational structures and things that might make sense for bigger companies. But actually, that's not really how we want to work. So the, the mm -hmm. example that I just used around the, the product and solution design teams, which is really that, which is, you know, we have a very traditional approach, which is something that we've had that we're trying to move away from 
to make sure that those teams are, you know, super engaged in facing the customer. Yeah, they get the benefit right of the market access. Yeah. And they also feel, you know, I think one of the things that um, smaller businesses like Epsilon um, can provide is that sense of um, satisfaction, work satisfaction for people. Mm -hmm. One of the things, the questions I always ask during the interview is where have you had the most, you know, and why? So from a job- Where have you had the most satisfaction? Most fun, yeah. Yeah. Most, Most satisfaction and why? And so- you know, invariably it'll be where it wasn't necessarily financial. It was, you know, I did this, I, I saw this idea, I recommended it, I was able to implement it. You know, I made this change, we changed this process, we introduced this product, whatever. And I think that, um, you know, certainly Epsilon can offer that type of environment and we want to foster that type of environment. Mm. Um, and that I think helps in the triangulation, your point previously. Yeah. But it also helps, you know, employees to feel they can really make a difference because yeah. they do, you yeah. know, and, and I always joke that if everyone's waiting to come up with the ideas, we're in big trouble. Right. So yeah. it's, it's gotta come from, you know, it's gotta come from the team and then I can help, mm. you know, assess those yeah. ideas and, and help decide if they're a good one, but not, uh, not necessarily to be the one generating them. Yeah. No, I love it. It's like you're expanding the organizational surface area, right? In contact with the real world, right? Outside of the organization, which um, which is important. When I was at Cisco, I mean, Cisco is a great company, but there were times when there were you know, massive strategies which you felt were being developed, <laughs> you know, with very little touch points sometimes with, yeah. with the outside world. And, you know, it was really important to kind of try to force that to happen, but it can be hard in a larger company, right? We have lots of people who are working on internal presentations and decks and all the rest of it and mm. managing the stakeholder environment so i think an advantage of a small company is yeah is, is exactly that so um yeah it's a great point let's um let's kind of move move to wrap up a little bit here uh, michelle it's been a great conversation and i think you know this whole question around focus and, and triangulation and um i love that interview question as well right about actually finding out where people have had fun um and and using that as a way to as well to um help people connect with what is important in, in their role. Yeah, it's fantastic. So a few, a few quick questions. What's, um, what's a favorite quote of yours, like a leadership quote perhaps or something which, um, which has been a guiding principle for you? I mean, it's, uh, it's, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing but expecting a different result. Nice. That to me is, uh, you know, I think about that all the time because I think about, um, you know, if, we're, if something's not working, but we're expecting a different result. You try and stand back and say, are we doing enough things differently? Are we mm. trying different things? Are we doing, you know, in your, in your kind of in your core and your gut, do you feel like that's enough? Are we doing, right. you know, is it, are we changing enough to expect the different result? And if we're not, then we're kidding ourselves. So nice. that's, that's my quote. Perfect. Do you have an app or something on your phone that you, that you really, really um, rely upon? You know, it's probably the music. It's probably music. So when I have my thinking time um, and I don't, I, you know, I don't put that slot in the diary. Um, but if I have a, an afternoon, I just need a, a little and then I just yeah. listen to some music and and it uh, helps me. Yeah, nice. Actually, that reminds me, there's an app I've, I've used a little bit in the past called um, Brain FM, which uh, just comes to mind, which is it's not music, but it's like this neuro, you know, based kind of 
sound that is really quite interesting for kind of allowing you to focus or relax or whatever, right. um, which I've used um, a little bit um, in similar circumstances. I'll try. I'll try to make me smarter. That'll be good. I need it. Need it. Thank you. Um, what about a book that's really influenced you uh, as a leader? Well, I think there's, you know, there's business books that I've read and a very simple one, which I think is quite powerful is Good to Great which a lot of people have read. Yeah. Uh, and then on a personal level, and this I read a long time ago, but it, 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 it is just such an amazing story was The Grapes of Wrath. Mm. Um, you know, and in terms of really understanding, you talk about struggle and you talk about um, the, uh, the human spirit. So um, yeah, two, two different books. One, one, The Hedgehog Principle and, you know, yeah. it, it, again, kind of book, yeah. keep, keep it simple. Um, yeah. He also the, the the principle out of that book, which is great, is the right people on the bus, which mm. is, you know, hire good people. You can figure out where to put them in an organization if you have that luxury. But, you know, people will make all the difference. Absolutely. What advice would you give your 20 year old self? Um, take more risks. You know, yeah. take more risks and be be more confident in. You know, always people talk about the fear of failure and all of that. I think um, that's definitely, you know, that you need to fail or take risks. Hopefully mm. you don't fail, but take more risks. Yeah, yeah. I think I like to help clients redefine failure. You know, I mean, it's only failure when you stop, <laughs> right? If you're keeping going, you're not really failing. Was it Churchill who said that success is launching, you know, it's like... Um, stumbling from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm, something like that. Um, <laughs> which uh, I think is a helpful way of re reframing what is failure yeah. and what is success. Yeah. Um, uh, and last question is, you know, who's an impactful CEO, you know, who's perhaps made an impact on you? Again, who might be a good, a good guest for a future episode? And what would, what do you admire about them? I was thinking about, um, you know, the, 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 the CEO of the firm that I spent 12 years at. So uh, previously at Clarinet, very, very clever guy, started a business from scratch, has grown the business, uh, you know, very successfully. Um, and has been able to kind of balance that. What do we need to do today versus in the future? Um, yeah, so you know, very, very interesting guy, very thoughtful guy. Mm. Yeah, it's when, when people build up a business like that, it's always, yeah, there's always something, always a bit of magic somewhere right there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fantastic. So finally, no matter where we've, you know, where we've got to, there's always a next level. So what's the next level um, for Epsilon? Uh, as a business and, and how do you feel that you're going to need to change personally as a leader to follow that growth and to lead that growth? Well, for us, uh, you know, we've, um, as I mentioned before, we've just concluded a transaction. So we've, we've, we've uh, brought in some hundred uh, percent new shareholders into the business. Um, and the, uh, the main uh, majority shareholder is KT, which is uh, Korean telecom. So mm -hmm. a very large organization, um, a very, very strong uh, player in the, telecommunications business, um, obviously in Korea, but also in Asia. So for us, it's, you know, we've been acquired specifically to help enable an international expansion and act as a platform for them to grow outside of Korea. They're so, they're domestically dominant um, there, but yeah. opportunity to grow. So, you know, for us, that's a massive opportunity and, and to have, um, you know, the endorsement of, of a KT in terms of their investment and the financial investor with them. Um, so for, as a CEO, I have to now be able to make sure that we take advantage of that opportunity. We'll be left as a standalone entity, 
but you know how do you how do you strike the balance between you know being part of a, a larger corporate a new another subsidiary mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. them but uh, and take advantage of that while we also maintain our independence mm-hmm. and maintain our agility and, and all the things that we talked about right. um, because really the value in the business so that's I think the next the next challenge for me yeah, so it's going to be yeah, it's going to yeah, the stakeholder world has changed, right? And and it creates yeah. a new dynamic. There's there's no, no new things to think about. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, so I think you know we're two months in, so uh, two months in, so it's very fresh, and trying to, uh, but you know, great opportunity again. So something that uh, that that's what I got to figure out. Yeah, fantastic. And if people want to find out a bit more about uh, Epsilon or about you, you know, where should they go? I think the uh, maybe the obvious places, so the, the website, Epsilon um, uh, website, and then um, the, um, you know, LinkedIn is, uh, I, have a, I have a profile on LinkedIn. So uh, those are probably the two sources. Yeah, perfect. Well, hey, Michelle, it's been great speaking to you. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It sounds like you're at a pivotal point, uh, another pivotal point in the growth of the company, right? With, uh, with Katie coming on board, uh, with the whole market trends, I think, in your favor here, right? And so it'll be really fascinating to see what happens over the next couple of years. So yeah. thanks again for well, taking a few minutes with me. Great. Thanks so much. Okay, Michelle, sp- take care and speak soon. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Now let's talk about you. When you're in top leadership, when you're in the biggest role of your career, who supports you at a deep level as you lead others? Who helps you multiply your impact and get to the next level? If you're ready to learn more about our content, our coaching, and our community, then visit us at xquadrant.com.